Against the Odds, AHC's inaugural podcast series featuring the true stories of real-life bands of brothers who exhibited unparalleled bravery, solidarity, and endurance on the battlefield to come out on top in a fight against impossible odds. Reliving battles from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and Iraq, these are the true stories of the harsh realities of war as told by the veterans who survived to tell. I'm your host, Shane Bowler, and this week we present The Battle for Sugarloaf Hill. May 1945. With the battle for Okinawa on the verge of collapse, all hope turns to the men fighting desperately atop Sugarloaf Hill, the key to victory. It's the most horrific singular battle of the Pacific War. Seven straight days of hell. And we just were getting shot to hell. The world just blew up. The last great battle of World War II will not be won by vast armies or armadas, but by a small band of men who will sacrifice all to capture a hill that holds the fate of World War II. This is their story. Against the Odds, the battle for Sugarloaf Hill. By 1945, America's Central Pacific Campaign has for the past three years been sending soldiers, sailors, and Marines sweeping across the Pacific. They have endured brutal battles against an enemy fortified on nightmarish islands that have fallen one by one to the American forces. The ever-increasingly violent war has moved them closer and closer to their prime target, the Japanese mainland. Now, only one island stands in the way, Okinawa. It is here only 365 miles from the doorstep of Japan that the last great battle of World War II will unfold. The conquest of Okinawa will provide America the critical staging ground for the massive invasion planned to hit the Japanese homeland on November 1st. For Japan, impregnable to attempted invasion for over a thousand years, Okinawa is the last hope against defeat. The island's 100,000 defenders must not only hold it, but inflict such unimaginable horror and violence against the American soldiers and Marines that the United States will lose their stomach for any landing on the Japanese mainland. The Japanese strategy is simply to drown in blood America's will to go on. The staunch defenders have prepared a nightmare for the coming invaders. By March 1945, U.S. forces are heading for Okinawa. Bill Pierce of the 3rd Battalion, 29th Marines Regiment. We happen to be part of the, uh, the largest naval armada in the history of the war. There were over 1,500 ships involved. 
and we looked out over the rail of our troop transport as far as the horizon were ships. There were over 40 aircraft carriers involved in the Battle of Elkanawa. That's a lot of aircraft carriers. And some 18 battleships, 200 destroyers and auxiliary ships, I can't tell you. There were over a thousand troop transports in them. On board the massive armada are over 100,000 soldiers and 88,000 Marines of the 1st and 6th Marine Divisions. Included is the 29th Marine Regiment. It's mostly kids, barely out of high school, from small towns drained of young men by four years of war. Dick Whitaker of the 2nd Division, 29th Marines Regiment. By the time I became 18 and eligible for the draft, there weren't many people left in Socrates that uh, hadn't been touched by the war. Families uh, had gold stars in the windows where their sons or fathers or husbands had been, had been killed. It was very much with us. We were all very much aware of what was going on. It was ever present that we were at war. Don Honus of the 3rd Battalion, 29th Marines Division. We were told uh, that we were going into combat, that much we knew. Then finally they mentioned uh, we're going to an island called Okinawa. And we all said, huh, what, where? Nobody ever heard of it. It was supposedly going to be a, uh, a pretty brutal landing. Well, we knew that uh... People get hurt in war, you know, it's uh, a lot of suffering, body parts and what have you, and uh, it's a grim business. We had that in mind. No one was deluding themselves into thinking it would be anything but bloody. April 1st, 1945, D-Day on Okinawa. At 8.30 a.m., the first wave of U.S. forces lands on Okinawa. The uh, shelling from the ship stopped because we had to get ashore and they didn't want to drop anything on us. So it got rather quiet. It was eerily quiet. We really didn't know what was going on ashore. I expected that we'd be uh, walking over bodies, which was the case in every landing in the Pacific. The first wave got beat up, the second wave got beat up, and the third wave got beat up. Command had anticipated initial losses to be in the thousands, with devastating Japanese artillery and machine gun fire expected to greet the landing forces. But all across the eastern beaches, resistance is surprisingly sporadic and minor. While command is baffled, they waste no time in moving cautiously inland toward the planned objectives. 
the 29th Marines moved quickly north from the landing site. With objectives being met in days rather than weeks, there is talk of being home by Christmas. Many speculate that the enemy has abandoned the island to prepare instead for an invasion of the homeland. Throughout the entire invading fleet, no one is complaining. But the cakewalk ends on April 9th, when advancing U.S. Army units run into savage resistance. The Leathernecks are soon ordered south to bolster them. The trip south was an eye-opener when we saw the army coming north because they obviously had been beat up. They looked like they had been mauled over and they were dejected and dirty. As the men of the 29th move forward, they are unaware that ahead lay the horrible truth to the mystery of Okinawa. The American forces had unknowingly already fallen into a brilliant trap orchestrated by Okinawa's general, Mitsuri Yoshijima. After three years of losing islands across the Pacific, the Japanese have adopted a new strategy. Rather than waste troops defending at the water's edge, they will allow their enemies to quickly advance through Okinawa's center and north, while they lie in wait at the island's southern tip, where Ushijima has planned a vast marine cemetery. In an area less than 10 miles wide and deep, he has concentrated some 100,000 troops, deep underground in a complex web of connected tunnels forming deadly lines of defense. The most formidable of these is the Shuri Yanaburo Line. Just six narrow miles across, it is a murderous collection of small interconnected hills, each able to annihilate attacks on the others. They soon earn infamous nicknames, Half Moon, The Horseshoe, and most critical, Sugarloaf. Sugarloaf Hill started on May 12th, and ended up on May 18th. So you're talking seven straight days of hell. It's the most horrific singular battle of the Pacific War. No singular battle surpasses Sugarloaf Hill in its viciousness and its death. There were 2,600 Marines wounded and killed in that seven-day battle. The next seven days will exalt the young, tight-knit Marines of the 29th into Marine legend. Their selfless sacrifice will earn immortality in a battle of such brutality that his very name will come to symbolize valor against impossible odds. In seven days, only 60 of them will be left alive. Seven days that will change the war. Seven days that will change the world. Against the Odds returns on AHC. Wherever there was hell. And all of a sudden, it seemed like everything around here, every house, every little window, fire was coming from everywhere. They started firing machine guns, rockets, RPGs. You can see the guys getting hit and still advancing forward. The buck stops here. We put our sweat, blood, and tears into that city. 
everything inside of you changed. I hope I get out of this alive. All new Against the Odds, Monday at 10 on AHC. After more than a week helping clear Okinawa against only sporadic resistance, the Army's 96th Division recoils before a murderous hornet's nest of defensive lines across the southern end of the island. Elements of the 6th Marine Division, including the 29th Marines, rush to the front line to relieve the exhausted Army units. In front of them looms Sugarloaf Hill. It will kill more Marines than any battle in their history. Sugarloaf is the critical interconnecting hill that links the entire Japanese defense line across the island. It is only 50 feet high and 500 yards long, but the Japanese have heavily fortified both the forward and reverse slopes with 122 heavy machine guns, 7 anti-tank guns, 16 mortars, and 2 howitzers. Artillery rolls out of caves on tracks for quick firing and withdrawal. The approach to the hill is a barren patch of earth, which the Americans must cross against lethal machine gun and artillery fire. The artillery annihilates slow-moving tanks before they can get close enough to be effective. The approach to it was complete barren. Those Marines walking across the field or tanks or whatever was coming towards Sugarloaf Hill were wide open. The caves were tremendous on Okinawa. Every hill had caves connected to the other hills. So if you happen to kill 30 or 40 Japanese on the hill and you thought you took the hill, at nighttime another fresh 30 or 40 would be up there. The Japanese, well rehearsed and brilliantly orchestrated, simply disappeared deep into caves and trench lines during the American artillery barrages. They re-emerge on the crest as the shelling ceases and slaughter the charging leathernecks. That radio was on. We could hear the reports of the unit that was on the hill and, and we knew they were getting beat up. The word might come in, can't hold it, can't, you gotta hold it. You gotta stay there. You gotta hold it, we can't hold this hill. Uh, we're down to 12 men. Because the state there was just pure death. And then they'd come down and they'd pass the, the units as they're going to the rear. And just to look at those guys, you knew there was hell there. With the amount of fire going back and forth, rifle fire, machine gun fire, mortars, artillery, the world just blew up. To cope with it, the best thing to do is not concentrate on yourself. If you think too much about yourself, good chance you'll crack up. And that's not what you're trained for. You're overwhelmed, but you have to keep your status in mind. The job, the job, the job. It was around mid-afternoon when our assault took place. We split our force, someone up the west side, someone up the east. And when we got to the top, uh, the 
Japanese forces uh, just released their well-rehearsed defense. It rained mortars. And because that hill was kind of sharp at the top, there was no way we could stand and shoot down at them without getting killed. Finally, uh, a sergeant named Ike Watermaker sensed what was happening to us and passed the word, we gotta get out of here or we're gonna be annihilated. Get the wounded, get the dead, and let's go. Lieutenant was killed. Several of our sergeants were killed. A, a lot of people were wounded. My guess is out of an attack force of 80-some, maybe 40 came off unscathed. Maybe scared to death. But, you know, you had all your arms and all your legs. Your eyesight was okay. You hadn't lost your bearings. To come to the realization that you've just done that is sort of a revelation to yourself. Because, you know, when you're in combat, you're thinking, well, how, how bad can this get? In May of 1945, the American fleet faces the unimaginable. The Japanese send waves of kamikaze pilots on suicide attacks meant to drive the fleet out to sea and maroon the troops ashore. They have brilliantly and horrifically pitted the lives of the sailors against those of their brother marines and soldiers fighting inland. Without the fleet's support, the troops ashore face certain doom. But if the ships stay, the swarming kamikaze attacks could very well destroy the American fleet. With the fate of both hanging in the balance, all hope turns to the desperate fight on Tiny Sugarloaf. It holds the key to the capture of Okinawa and the release of the captive fleet. But for the men of the 29th and their fellow Marines fighting for their lives, Sugarloaf is fast becoming the costliest battle of the entire Pacific War. By May of 1945, the Japanese have turned the battle for Okinawa into a horrific double showdown on land and sea. With kamikaze attacks now ravaging the fleet offshore, Admiral Chester Nimitz, Commander-in-Chief United States Pacific Fleet, must make wrenching decisions. If he keeps his fleet in place to support the men ashore, he could lose it. If he sails for safer waters, he will doom the landed troops in their desperate need of the fleet's life-saving firepower and supplies. Nimitz, unwilling to trade one set of lives for another, demands what seems impossible. Take Sugarloaf now. Sugarloaf remains the critical hill anchoring the dreaded Shuri Line, running across the southern neck of the island. It must be cracked so American forces can penetrate into the heart of the Japanese defenses, take Okinawa, and release the beleaguered fleet. Admiral Nimitz was suffering so terribly with the kamikaze sinking and killing the sailors that he kept saying, I can't stand up this island for any longer. 
If I stay off this island any longer, we're going to, the Navy, Navy's going to be whittled down up the, the candlesticks. Adding to this growing military storm is the impact of the Okinawa campaign on the U.S. home front. Every day the Pacific battle drags on, increases the need for more replacement units. But the only troops left are the exhausted survivors, just returned home from years of fighting in Europe. You have to consider also in there the disease factor and the illness factor. And you add the men that had battle fatigue. When you put all of these units together, now lost in that battle, and you say, where do we get the replacements? They had to come from Europe. Well, these poor guys had just been through three, four years in Europe, all kinds of combat. Here they were now going to be transferred to Okinawa. I always think the greatest generation were our parents. My brother was overseas, I was overseas. Just think of the, the fear that they went through every day. The letters that came home. Or the man walking up, knocking on your door with the telegram. If in those days, if the parents saw a Western Union man coming toward them, they knew that that Western Union telegram told them, your son is killed. We knew that if we weren't taking ground every day, we weren't winning. When you went up, there was 30 of you, or 18 or 20. You get to the top, there's only four or five left. They're dropping all around you. Jack Houston of the 2nd Battalion, 22nd Marine Regiment. Artillery, machine guns, everything under the sun, and we just were getting shot to hell. The wounded were just streaming back, and the, and the whole valley floor was covered with dead Marines. I've never been able to really explain how bad it was. We were a band of brothers. When they asked me to be an officer, I said no, just because of that very thing. These were my buddies, you know, I didn't want to want to leave them. I was wounded and I walked out of the, the little aid station. I couldn't stand being around men to me that were really wounded. I just walked out. And where'd I go? Right back to my unit. I couldn't wait to get back to it. As casualties continue to mount on land and sea, the Japanese are also dying in mass. Okinawa, the last great battle of World War II, has come down to a ghastly ordeal of attrition with no end in sight. Sugarloaf alone has killed or wounded almost 2,000 men in just four days of fighting. But the dwindling men of the 29th and their fellow Marines, who have already suffered so much, will do what Marines do best, adapt and overcome. The Japanese on Okinawa are about to find out what their predecessors on previously conquered islands now know, and that is, the Marines don't quit, ever. In the battle to come, they will bring the fight and they will stand as legends in a battle that will forever change the course of history. 
Against the Odds returns on AHC. Whatever we did was hell. And all of a sudden, it seemed like everything around you, every house, every little window, fire was coming from everywhere. They started firing machine guns, rockets, RPGs. You see the guys getting hit and still advancing forward. The buck stops here. We put our sweat, blood, and tears into that city. Everything inside of you changed. I hope I get out of this alive. All new Against the Odds, Monday at 10 on AHC. After five days of horrific fighting and multiple attempts to take Sugarloaf Hill, over half of the 29th Marines are either dead or wounded. They just came off the hill. They went, well, they went up at 8 o'clock. It's 9, 30, 10 o'clock. They're on the way back. You're kidding me. No. They got the hell kicked out of them. C Company's going up, or D or F, or whatever company might be going up next. Not the same unit could do it. They would just be shot to hell. Plus, they were not full strength. No unit that went up there had the 200 or the 30 or whatever. They, they were whittled down. I had that trip back to the battalion aid station by Amtrak. Hang on, buddy. Oh, there was 15 or 20 of us in there. Everybody is bleeding, everybody. The guy on my left is bleeding all over me. One on my right, he's got an upper body wound. He's bleeding on me, and, and the blood is running down my leg and into my shoe, so blood is the one thing we all have in common. They put all the bodies in the alligator tractor, the Amtraks that came up to the bottom of the hill. An Amtrak is built such that in the bottom of the Amtrak, there's always four to six inches of water. Well, all the dead bodies were loaded in the bottom of the Amtrak, and Miles Anderson was hanging on the ladder. And as the Amtrak was going toward the rear, it lurches. Miles Anderson was washed amongst the bodies. When he got out of that Amtrak, he just was almost crazy. It's an island of death. It's a never-ending thing. It's something you live with, just like you have to live with the odor of the battlefield. You got all these remains unburied. One thing they can't film, and that's the odor. You open up a can of rations, what do you taste? You taste death. You had men fighting that were wounded. You had men that were sick. Diarrhea was frequent within the group. Hunger was there, wetness. All the clothing was damp. They were slogging through mud. The disease was rampant. sleep in a hole every night that you just dug freshly yourself and your buddy. And when you're in a foxhole and it rains and the hole starts to fill up with water, 
It's misery of a special kind, especially when you're afraid to get out of the hole that somebody's going to shoot you. By May 17th, the Marine brothers of the 29th, bearing the brunt of the frontal attacks on Sugarloaf, are ravaged and exhausted by 10 unsuccessful assaults over six days. Nimitz's fleet continues to lose men and ships to the remorseless stream of kamikaze attacks. Still, he refuses to abandon the men ashore. The impregnable Sugarloaf has locked the battle for Okinawa into a meat grinder with no end in sight. What the heck is going on? We can't take the damn hill. And finally, Captain Maybe with D Company, he got the idea of a simultaneous attack around both sides of the hill. Maybe believes the Japanese defenses have been weakened enough by constant marine assaults for a daring new attack. Mortars will pound Sugarloaf, forcing the enemy underground as Maybe's tanks sneak to their left and right flanks. As vulnerable Marines rush the hill to draw the enemy back out, Maybe's tanks will catch the Japanese in the open and cut them to pieces, allowing the assaulting Marines to finally reach and hold the crest of Sugarloaf. All he needs is the human bait to draw the enemy out into the open. What is left of the 29th's assault platoons stands up for the job. With fewer than 100 men left, this must be their final charge up Sugarloaf. It will be their 11th attempt, and one way or another, their last. Of the few hundred of their brothers who began the battle for Sugarloaf with them six days ago, they are all who remain. By the end of the day, only 60 of them will still be alive. The deadliest battle of the Pacific War will be decided not by vast armies or great armadas, but by a small group of men who together must overcome the impossible to save their brothers fighting for their lives on land and sea. On May 18, 1945, after six days with ten unsuccessful attempts to capture Sugarloaf, the vital key to Okinawa, the Marines prepare for one last desperate assault to win this deadliest of crucial battles. The ravaged 29th has no strength left for a second attack. If this one fails, the 29th will likely no longer exist. A thunderstorm of marine artillery and mortars pound Sugarloaf, driving the defenders back underground. Tanks from the 6th Tank Battalion race around Sugarloaf to secure positions on both sides of the hill. Within minutes, a half dozen of them fall to Japanese armor-piercing guns and well-placed minefields, throwing the attack plan into doubt. But instantly, a dozen marine rocket trucks rush up dodging enemy shellfire and delivering devastating supporting salvos as the tanks reorganize. At 8.30, with the plan in disarray, the shelling ceases as the 80 men of the 29th begin their assault. 
As always, the Japanese re-emerge from underground to deliver stinging fire from their surface positions. With the tanks struggling to round the hill, the Marines charge forward in an effort to reach the Japanese holding the crucial crest. The attack wavers as the assault meets the same curtain of steel that shredded ten previous attacks. At last, the tanks reach their flanking positions and unleash hell. Shells and machine gun bullets rip into the Japanese as the charging marines reach the crest. And the words passed, we got it. We got that damn hill, we're on top of that hill. And uh, that's how the word came through that we finally got that son of a gun. After seven days, 11 attempts, and over 2,600 Marine casualties, Sugarloaf is in American hands. But there's no time for celebration. With the dreaded Shuri line finally broken, fresh troops rush in to relieve the 29th and begin destroying its murderous interlocked defenses. On June 21st, 1945, victory is declared bringing an end to the horrific 82-day bloodbath. Nimitz's battered fleet never abandoned the men fighting ashore. With over 4,900 sailors and 34 ships lost to the kamikazes, it has rightly earned the title, the fleet that came to stay. With Okinawa in American hands, the planned invasion of Japan can now go forward. But the Japanese have sealed their fate in their scheme to inflict massive death on Okinawa. Devastating American losses convinced President Truman that an invasion of the Imperial homeland might consume the lives of one million U.S. servicemen. Rather than risk continued loss of American lives, he turns to the nuclear option. The devastation unleashed on Hiroshima and Nagasaki quickly bring Japanese surrender and the end of World War II. In the battle for Okinawa, no unit pays a higher price than the men of the 29th, who lose over 75% of their brothers. They earn through blood, courage, and incredible sacrifice, their rightful place among the legendary heroes who won the last great battle of World War II. Bill Pierce. It humbles the heck out of you to read what some of these men did and you think, my God, he survived? The admiration and the camaraderie was tremendous. It's a tremendous brotherhood. It was a feeling of pride that I have to this day. You're a Marine forever. They never get the Marine out of your body. Jack Houston. It's hardly a day of my life that I don't remember it. I wake up in the morning very often thinking about it, or, or someone, or something that happened. We were a band of brothers. These were my buddies, you know, I didn't want to, want to leave them. Don Honus. The battle for Sugarloaf Hill, of course, is in the annals of the history of the Marine Corps is one of the big battles. 
along with Bella Wood and Chosin Reservoir and so many other battles. We were a page of that history and uh, a deserving page. Dick Whitaker. All young men mostly are 18, 19 years old. There were 265 men in our company and after the serious fighting in that area, there were 60 men left standing. And as a survivor, I think it gives a man uh, enough self-confidence to last a lifetime. And I'm grateful. that I was a Marine and that I survived. Semper Fidelis, and may God rest all those guys that never saw another Easter Sunday. They're the real heroes. The 29th Marine Regiment received the Presidential Unit Citation for extraordinary heroism, gallantry, determination, and esprit de corps in accomplishing its mission under extremely difficult and hazardous conditions up and above other units participating in the same campaign. This podcast was produced by the American Heroes Channel. Join us again next week for Against the Odds, Bloody George at the Chosin Reservoir. The story of one of the forgotten war's most decorated yet unrecognized companies who would find themselves at the tip of the spear in the Korean War's bloodiest battles. I'm your host, Shane Bowler. Thank you for listening.